Hey everybody, welcome back to Investing with Wesley. Recently, I've had some close people in my life ask me the steps to buy a home. You know, what they need to do, what they need to prepare for, and pretty much they know nothing about buying their first home because rightfully so, they've never bought a home before. So I've decided to make a mini series answering that question. What are some of the steps that goes into buying a home? And I'm gonna interview some friends of mine that are lenders and real estate agents so you guys have a better understanding of what goes on behind the scenes and what you can better prepare for when it comes time to buy your first home. That being said, guys, let's get into it. Now, most home sales have about 11 steps. The first step would be to decide if you're even ready to buy a house. And I know that sounds kind of simple, like you just think to yourself, yeah, I'm ready to buy a house. But there's actually a lot that goes into it. The second step would be to calculate how much house you can actually afford. Now this is where my philosophy may differ from the real estate agents or the lenders philosophy because I teach people to buy a home that they can actually afford, not to buy the home that they qualify for. And calculating how much home you can afford is actually extremely simple and really easy to do. And we'll get into that in a sec. The third step would be to save for a down payment, closing costs, any repairs and moving fees you might have to do. It's just to start saving money so that you could actually buy this home. After that, you wanna get pre-approved for a mortgage. This is typically the step that most people break away from. Most people will decide they want to buy a home and then contact a realtor whilst never getting pre-approved. So the realtor is potentially showing them all these homes that they're falling in love with, but they don't qualify for. So when it actually comes to taking the first real step in getting a home, the pre-approval process is extremely important. Once you're pre-approved, you want to find the right real estate agent for you. You don't necessarily want to hire the number one producer in your area or your buddy that just got his real estate license. You wanna find someone you could trust like your friend, but that also knows the market well enough like the number one producer. You wanna find someone right in the middle that is gonna work for your benefit and not just try and sell you a home because they need to make some money. Once you find the right real estate agent for yourself, you're gonna wanna house hunt. And this could be a really short process or a really long process depending on what kind of market you're in. Once you find the house that you really like, you're gonna make an offer. And obviously not every offer you make is going to get approved. So you may have to make multiple offers and you may lose some of those offers and lose the home that you really wanted. But once your offer gets accepted, that is where the process truly starts. Your offer has been accepted and now you go into something called escrow. And in escrow is when you get all your inspections done, you, you secure some homeowner's insurance and anything else that needs to be done. Now the inspections are pretty much always going to come back with something wrong. And it could be giant or it could be minuscule. This would be the time to ask the seller for repairs or credits. If you're buying a house that needs a new roof, then you could ask the seller to replace the roof for you, which, which they probably won't do. But you could also ask them for a credit for the price of replacing a home. That way you get the house a little bit cheaper so that you could spend that money or the credit they gave you on replacing that roof. Once all the repairs have been made or negotiations have been done, credits have been issued or not issued, once all that is done, you do a final walkthrough and make sure the house is still in the condition when you first saw it and that nothing shady has happened throughout the process. And once the final walkthrough is done, the last step is to close on your new home, get the keys and move in. For the remainder of this episode, we're gonna focus on whether or not you're really ready to buy a house calculate how much house you could afford, and then start the process of saving, fixing your credit, and building that nest egg for a down payment or repairs if need be. The next video that I'll record is going to be talking to my friend Doug, who is a lender, and he's gonna give you everything you need to know about the lending process, the pre-approval process, and that kind of stuff. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And finally, the last video in this series is gonna be with my friend Brittany, who is a real estate agent, and she will give you all the information you need to know on house hunting, 
what to look for, and pretty much everything you need to know that comes with the real estate agent's half. So let's answer the first question. Are you really ready to buy a house? I know my goal when I bought my first house was just to buy a house, to have something to call my own because I was tired of living in the apartments that I was living at and having horrible neighbors. I just wanted something that I could call my own that I didn't have to report back to any landlord or management. But that's not necessarily the smartest or wisest decision when buying a house. When buying a house, you have to factor in, are you ready for a 15 or 30 year commitment on paying down your mortgage and adjusting your budget for that long of a time period to make sure that you can actually afford this house and pay it off. And most importantly, you have to figure out if owning this home is going to preclude you from doing other things that your budget may need. Is it gonna preclude you from paying down your debts or from saving for retirement? A lot of people buy a home, whether it's their first home or not, a lot of people buy a home and end up what's called house broke, where they spend the vast majority of their money just paying for the mortgage and utilities and living costs that come with it and have almost no residual money to splurge on things that they want, but also save for other investments. Now, another thing people really need to do is weigh out the unrecoverable costs of owning versus renting. Now, it's common knowledge that the money you spend on rent is unrecoverable because you're basically paying someone else's mortgage and maybe a profit to them and that all the money you're spending per month is unrecoverable. But with it comes a little bit of benefits like you don't have to pay for maintenance and that sorts of thing because typically it is the landlord's responsibility to make sure the house is in livable conditions. But when it comes to home ownership, there's unrecoverable costs as well. The biggest one is tax, which is usually about one and a half percent of the home's value of whenever you bought it. But you also have to factor in about one percent of the home's value per year on average will go to things like maintenance. You no longer have a landlord, so if the plumbing stopped working, that's on you to fix. If you need a new fence because it broke or fell down or has been dilapidated, that's on you to fix. Anything that goes wrong with your home is completely on you to fix. And yes, if it's big, you, ha you hopefully have homeowner's insurance that will cover it, and maybe you are wise enough to get a home warranty program, but either way, at the end of the day, it's on you and your budget to fix these potential maintenance costs. The two other things you wanna factor in is the cost of capital, both on the debt side and the equity side. So the cost of capital on the debt side would be the interest that you have to pay on the loan. As an example, if you put 20% down and financed 80% of the house value, then that 80% is the debt capital that you have to pay interest on. So depending on the interest rate that you qualify for, and that ultimately depends on how good your credit score is, that's something you have to factor in. I know when I bought my first house, my credit was really good, but interest rates were high. So we ended up having an interest rate of five and a half percent. And five and a half percent for a home historically is actually still really good, considering a couple decades ago, home interest were about 10% plus. But for the modern era of home buying, that's extremely high. I think current interest rates are something like two and a half percent. So that so that added cost on paying interest is something I really had to think about when I was deciding to buy a home. But you also wanna think about the cost of your equity. In the same example, if you put 20% down, well that's 20% of your hard earned money that you've been saving up. And typically on average, home prices really follow the pace of inflation. They're not like stocks or bonds that can go up wildly in a couple of months. So if you put 20% down, let's just say it was 20 grand. If you put 20 grand down on a home, is that 20 grand only growing at the pace of inflation worth the equity cost of you renting and putting that 20 grand 
towards investments like stocks and bonds, which average six to 12% per year. This is why I tell everybody that's thinking to buy a house to really know what the purpose of buying this house is. Is it just because you're tired of renting like I was? Or is it because you are planning to buy your forever home, the home you're gonna have for the rest of your life? Or is your first home that you're gonna buy gonna be an investment? Are you going to rent it out and hopefully turn a profit? Knowing what your goals are for buying this home will ultimately have the biggest influence on whether or not you're gonna make a particular deal or submit particular offers on any particular house. And not only that, but you knowing the purpose of buying your home and then relaying those messages to your lender and real estate agent is really gonna help everyone be part of your team in finding you the best possible home that meets your goals with buying this property. Now to answer the second question on how much home you can afford really just depends on you and your budget. As an example, when me and my wife were buying our first home, we wanted to be able to afford all of our debts and the mortgage on one income. That way, the other person's income would go straight towards investing, savings, and wants. So although we qualified for a $575,000 house, we ended up buying a $215,000 house just because that was what met our goal and our budget. Now my general rule of thumb when it comes to budgeting is that no more than 50% of your income goes towards living expenses that are a need. So these are things like utilities, groceries, transportation costs, and yes, of course, rent or mortgage. So depending on how much money you're spending going to get groceries and commuting back and forth to work, and whether or not you're moving closer to work or farther away from work, will really help you decide exactly how much wiggle room you have. So as just a crude example, if, if you made $6,000 a month net after taxes, then your living expenses between groceries, transportation costs, and everything else that's considered a need should only spend about 3,000 of those dollars. So if you were spending $1,000 a month on groceries, utilities, and transportation right now, then you know you could afford $2,000 to go to either rent or mortgage. And right now, based on interest rates and your credit score, a $2,000 a month mortgage equates to about a $475,000 home. Now, I'm not saying you should go out and buy a $475,000 home and max out your budget. You should always leave some wiggle room because what if you change jobs or what if furloughs happen due to COVID? You never know. So you should never max out your budget at every category. But that's just a crude example on what you might be able to qualify for depending on your budget. Now, your budget may already be screwed up from past mistakes. Who knows? So I'm not saying you need to buy a rundown, nasty, $50,000 home that needs so much work to it, it's unlivable. I'm not saying you need to buy cheap. All I'm saying is that the numbers on your budget and your balance sheet need to match. So if your budget is blown, but you really like this $300,000 house, then as long as it makes sense for you to take kind of a risk on it, you could buy that $300 house and just do something like house hacking or renting spare bedrooms. That way it lowers your effective cost and helps you with your budget. I'll make a video separately on what house hacking is, but basically the premise of it is that you buy a duplex, triplex, or any multi-unit building, live in one of the units and rent out the other units. So if you had a duplex, you would live in one side and rent out the other side to cut your mortgage drastically in half, or maybe if you're lucky enough, not pay a mortgage at all. This could potentially save you that much more money in your budget to invest for your future or other deals. And in the modern age, house hacking is extremely easy. You could do things like the traditional house hack and buy a multifamily unit, 
or you could just buy a single family home and Airbnb one of your spare bedrooms to cover some of your costs. Ultimately, it's up to you and your creative planning and how much risk you're willing to take. And the reason I say there's a risk is because what if you don't Airbnb one month and no one wants to stay at your place? Or what if you have a rental and that person that's renting the other half of your multifamily building moves out and it goes vacant? You still need to find a way to cover those costs. So make sure if you're gonna do this, you can still moderately afford the home and just work on lowering those expenses. That way it saves you more money. Now remember, the home you live in, your primary residence is not an asset, it is considered a liability. That's why a lot of people recommend to rent where you live, but own what you rent. Meaning, own some homes and rent them out to other people to collect an income, but where you actually live, you should rent. I don't necessarily agree with this because in my opinion, you can make any liability an asset, it just takes some creative planning. So if you're gung-ho on buying your first house for whatever reason, like I was, but maybe your budget's just not quite there yet, then with some creative planning, it is actually pretty easy to lower those expenses and turn the liability of your home into an asset. And not only that, but owning a home has amazing tax benefits as well as is a major accomplishment and over time usually goes up in value. So if you do ever sell this house, you get some money back out of it. Now chances are doing the strategy of buying a home, staying in it for a couple years and then selling it, usually won't turn that much of a profit, especially when you factor in how much interest you've been paying on those loans over the course of the couple years you've been there. But if you've been in this house for five years and for five years have been house hacking or renting it out on Airbnb, then the amount of interest you've effectively paid has been negligible because it's been other people paying your mortgage and or interest on this loan. Now part number three is actually pretty simple and that is saving for the down payment for the closing costs, any repairs and that kind of stuff. It's basically just saving money. And the reason I say it's simple is because once you've figured out if you're ready to buy a home and how much home you can actually afford, now you know exactly how much money you need to save. If you can afford a $200,000 house and want to put 20% down, then you know you need to come up with $40,000. And I would never recommend you save your money inside a standard bank savings account or even a CD because they give you little to no growth and it's actually risky to keep your money there long term due to inflation. So what I would recommend is set up a brokerage account and invest in a diversified mutual fund or ETF or if you're working with an investment advisor, have that advisor create a portfolio of diversified stocks, bonds, and so on. That way your money is not at risk to any one asset class or sector, and you still get some potential gains out of it. In one of my previous videos on the three savings accounts you need to have, I said that your main savings account should get anywhere from about six to 8% because it's not designed to try and beat the market for any giant long-term gains is just designed to preserve your capital and give you a little bit of upside growth. So when it comes to you saving money, you should cut back on expenses you don't really need to to increase the amount of excess money you have and invest that money to get a little bit of gain in the end. And then once you reach the monetary goal you had for that down payment, and remember you also have to factor in that if time has passed, property values have probably gone up, inflation has probably gone up, and you'll have to pay taxes on any gains that you received in that investment. So there's some math to be done here, but if you're working with an investment advisor, they'll do all of that for you. Once you reach the goal that you had set, that's the point where you withdraw your money and put it inside a savings account at your local bank to keep that money safe in case there's some wild market turmoil. Now that your money is safe in your bank account and you actually have the amount of money you need, 
that is when you go to the lender to get pre-approved. And in the next video, you'll learn all about that process. So stay tuned and have a great day.